Father, I thank You that You are always faithful and that You're here with us. You said You would never leave us or forsake us. And so we're confident right now that what we ask, Father, that You would grant us. And I'm asking You, Lord, we together are asking You for revelation tonight. That You would speak to us on the inside. We give You free reign here. Holy Spirit, have Your way. I ask You, Lord, for Your wisdom to flow in this room tonight. For Your understanding to come in and to open up our mind, open up our heart, to see, to know, and to understand the words that we read and the things that we hear. Father, I thank You for a perceiving in the Spirit that we might correctly see, correctly discern, correctly hear Your Word tonight. And Father, I ask You to give me the ability to explain thoroughly, explain well, explain simply the Word as we read through it. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name and Amen. Turn in your Bible, if you would, over to Romans chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Romans. I'm going to read a couple verses in 5, and then we'll get into chapter 6, is which, what we're looking at tonight. And in the book of Romans, you know, Paul wrote this to the Roman believers, and he wrote this from, he was in Corinth at the time, at the Corinthian church, and um, he wrote this to, it was mostly Gentile believers, there were some Jews among them, but even the Gentile believers were people that knew the law and knew Scripture and, and had been um, brought into the, the uh, knowing of the Old Covenant, right? Because many times he talks to them and at one point even we'll read where he says, you guys know, you're familiar with this, right? And so, so he, the people, his audience had context for everything he was saying out of the Old Testament. And in chapter 1 and 2 and 3, he goes through and he details um, in detail the guilt of the Gentile world, the guilt of the Jewish world, the guilt of the entire world, and that, you know, without Christ, everyone's without hope. And then he starts with Abraham and he talks, he comes from how Abraham was a man of faith and, and believed the promises of God and he works his way up to Jesus. <clears throat> and in chapter 5, um, starting in verse 12, he's talking about how death came through Adam and life through Christ. In fact, I'll just read um, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. So everyone needed Christ. It doesn't matter what your history, what your lineage, where you came from. None of that mattered so much, or against the fact that everyone needs Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says how that um, life comes through Jesus. And how Adam was a type of Jesus, of, of the one to come. Verse 15, the gift is not like to trespass, for if by one man's trespass many died, how much more, someone say much more, have the grace of God and the gift which comes through grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. Now, in this house, we've many times explained grace, so I'm just going to um, explain it again real briefly. The grace of God is God coming and helping you do something, accomplish something, or standing in the gap for something that you cannot do or accomplish or stand in the gap for yourself. Grace is a gift. It's undeserved. It's not expected to be paid back. All right, But it's Him empowering you, enabling you with His ability for 
life for, to accomplish what He tells you to do. That's what grace is. Alright, so when you read grace, you can always read you know, His enablement or His empowerment. You could just put those words in and it will help you understand what you just read. So here he's saying how that much more, those that have the grace of God, the gift which comes through the grace by the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin. This is verse 16. Because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. You can look back to Adam and Eve in the garden and the original sin. They, when they took that bite, when they disobeyed the Father's direct command, when they did that, it changed the DNA of the human race forever. Boom, in a flash. Because their physical body didn't change. Their physical body began to die that day. But God said, the day you eat of the fruit, That's the day you're going to die. Well, we know there was a spiritual death, not a physical death. Adam didn't die until he was 900 and some years old. So it was quite some time later, right? And um, so we look at this. What would that be like to be 900 years old? Imagine the wisdom that you would accumulate in that time. Imagine the first people that got old and wrinkly. They'd never seen this before. What's going on with them? What's happening to them, right? I know, sometimes I think weird things, but hey, it's, it happened that way. I mean, imagine the first time they went to sleep. I don't think they slept in paradise. They rested, but it says in the cool of the day, that just means the cooler part of the 24 hours. It could have been all night long that they walked with God in the garden. But then he says, now it's going to be hard work, and they're going to go to sleep. What do you think they thought the first time one of them fell asleep? Whoa, did they die? Hey, hey, oh. Oh, you, were, you died, man. He was right when he said, this day you're going to die. I know. Maybe it's an abundance of coffee. I don't know. But they did cross that bridge. You understand? That was a real thing to them. Not to us, because we take things, things uh, for granted. But here, we see this simple truth. Look down here in verse uh, 17. If by, uh, or actually, what I'd started to explain in verse 16 was that, so he changed the DNA of the human race. So one sin affected all of humanity. But then the rest of humanity's sin wasn't, didn't do the same thing. Those were also sins. Now you have many sins, all right? But one act of justification, Jesus, also made available for all humanity's DNA to be changed. Back to the original. Back to the DNA of God. Now, it doesn't mean everyone is changed because you have to accept it. You have to receive it. But you could say that death, which comes from sin, is like a horrible disease, right? That as soon as one person had it, everyone that comes from that person is going to have that disease. That's, that's what it is. It's terminal. And like one person said, no one gets out of life alive. <laughs> well, not in the physical sense maybe, but in the spiritual sense, we will never die is what Jesus said, if, if, right, Jesus is your Lord. He said at one point, he said, even if you die, you will live. That's good news, isn't it? All right, so one, one, many sins, but one gift that results in justification or acquittal of sin. It's legal jargon. Verse 17, if by one man's trespass death reigned... <clears throat> through that one man, how much more 
will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We can reign in life. We don't have to be defeated and depressed and down and out. We're not just locked up in this doom and gloom, Eeyore kind of mentality, right? But we can actually walk in victory, walk in joy, walk in faith. We can reign. And let me ask you this question. I would like a little bit of participation from you. So just shout it out if you know the answer. How does a king reign? Say, gives orders. Other people said things? you got to speak up. Authority. Authority. And he gives orders. Yeah, that's how a king reigns. A king doesn't decree a law and then go out and enforce the law everywhere in every corner of the kingdom. Other people do that. The king gives an order. He reigns with his mouth. And with his pen. <laughs> right? He reigns with an order. That comes from a place of authority. Because he stands in a place of responsibility. See, from responsibility comes authority. You can't, have, you can't divorce those two. You can't have authority without responsibility. As the head of a home, you, you walk in a certain authority of your home. That's because you walk in a certain responsibility for your home. If you don't take that responsibility, then you can't stand in the authority. Well, in the same way as pastor of a church, right? There's a certain authority... Why? Because of a responsibility that comes. And so here, if you're going to reign in life, you have a certain responsibility in your life to see to it that you choose and walk right with the Lord. He has given you grace. He has given you life. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness for you to walk in victory. But it's still up to you because you have responsibility in your own personal life on how you're going to walk this out. Right? So with that responsibility comes authority that He has given to you. Authority that you need to use and operate and stand in. And you say, well, how do I do that, Pastor? You open your mouth. If you're not reigning in your life with your mouth, you're not reigning. Something else is. Or circumstances are. Or other things. You must reign with your mouth. Say, well, how do I reign with my mouth? Declare the Word over yourself. Say things about yourself that line up with the Word. Stand in front of a mirror if you need to and look yourself in the eye and tell that person in the mirror that you are full of the Holy Spirit and of power. You walk in victory. The love of God flows through you. Or change it to I, me. Right? You, if, you, if you're feeling down and out and like circumstances are defeating you, because all of us feel that way from time to time. All of us have to deal with that because we don't win every fight we've ever been in. I wish we did, but the unfortunate truth is we don't. And so as we come back, sometimes we lose a fight. We didn't lose the battle, but we lost that particular round. And so we get back up. See, if you get back up and you go back at it again, you know, persistence is one of the main keys to success. Persistence, just refusing to quit. Refusing to give up. So, how do I reign? I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to say what He says about me. I am who He, he says I am. I am victorious. You say that. You say, I am victorious. I am more than a conqueror. I am full of faith. 
I make myself available to you, Father, to speak to me. I hear you. You go, yeah, well, I haven't heard the Lord in two weeks. Well, you still say, I hear you, Lord. My ear is sensitive to your voice. My heart is open to your correction, Father. I put myself in your presence every day. And you just are reigning with your mouth. Now you, now you can advance it. You can extend it further. And you begin to say, here's how my life is going to go. We're going to go up and not down. We're going to be the head and not the tail. See, that's all Scripture, right? We're blessed and favored and God causes things to go well for me and He blesses everything I put my hand to. I have more than enough to meet all my needs financially. An abundance of provision flows to me to meet my needs and others' needs because I am a blesser. And I take what the Lord gives me and bless other people. In fact, I have more than I know what to do with. And you say, well, yeah, but there's needs in my life. How can I say that? It's a confession of faith. This confession of faith that we have is what Scripture says. Now, you don't say it to try to get it. Now you're trying to convince yourself. You're saying it because you're convinced that the promise is true. That's why you're saying it. You just believe what it says. Yeah, I know, sometimes your circumstances don't line up with it, but you still reign. Let me ask this. I didn't expect to go through any of this tonight, so Lord, thank you for helping me. We ask for it, and He's helping. Listen, any king in history that makes decrees and laws and rules, does that mean those decrees, laws, and rules never get broken? No. So just because people don't listen to what the king decreed, does that make him not a king? Does that make what he said not true? No. Sometimes circumstances go against the order. But you have the authority to address that circumstance now and shore up the wall or whatever needs to be done at that place, right? You have the authority. One of the ways that you take that authority is you speak to, if you feel like, man, I just feel so down today, well, recognize that might, you might just be tired and need a nap because you were up late and up early and all that. Or maybe it's a spiritual something trying to sap your energy. So just speak to that. Say in the name of Jesus, whatever this thing is that's causing me to feel down and out, I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And then you expect it was gone. Because the Word says that the name of Jesus is stronger than any spirit out there. Every, every name named. Every title given. So that means when you speak to any evil force in the name of Jesus, it must listen. It does not have a choice. You don't say in the name of Jesus, leave. And I, well, I wonder, did it leave? No. Leave, you know, it has to go. It has to go. Because the enforcer will make it so. Right? The Lord is the enforcer for you. When you command a devil to leave, he flees from you. What does the Scripture say? He says, uh, humble yourself under God. Right? That's the first part. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because it's his authority, God's authority, that you're resisting him in. You've taken on his DNA. And you are now standing with his authority. So reign in life. One more thing. I just want you to be real clear on this. Reigning in life does not mean the future life after you're dead. Like in the future millenniums and whatever. It's talking about now. Life. Not the afterlife. This life. Reign in life. 
So someone say, I will reign in this life. Verse 18, so then as though through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Listen, there's no sin that is equal, well, I'll say it a different way. There's only one sin. There's only one sin that the blood of Jesus won't cleanse. It's called the unpardonable sin. All right? And, and I don't know if, if you, like myself, when I was young, I was concerned about that unpardonable sin. Because just what if, you know? What if I somehow inadvertently, um, I committed that unpardonable sin and now... I'm going to be barred from heaven. Well, let me just be real clear. If a sin is not pardonable, it means you're outside, out of the reach of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not going to be drawing on you. He's not going to be convicting you. He's not going to be prodding you. Hey, you should want to be right with the Lord. He will be completely withdrawn from you. Entirely. You will not want to be right, nor do right. That is the unpardonable sin. You won't even have the desire to repent. If any person ever looks at you and they have the desire to repent and have the Lord be their Lord and Master, if they want that but they're afraid of the, you know, maybe I committed that, no, you did not. Else you wouldn't have this draw to to worship and serve the Lord. And as long as you have that draw, then you know that He has not forsaken me. Alright, verse 20, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, chapter 6, he um, is going to make the first two verses... You know, I I read those verses in chapter 5 because of what he says in the first two verses because he wants to make clear that his statement in verse 20 that where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Paul was such a preacher of grace that his people, I guess, started asking and started thinking and getting the idea that you could, grace and the blood of Jesus is so powerful you could just live in sin and it'd be all right. And so he's making sure that, (laughs) no, that is not understood that way. Right? <clears throat> Andrew Walmack says it this way. He says that if, if you don't have people thinking that, if, if you don't have people thinking that that's what you're preaching, a hyper grace, you're not preaching grace enough. He says, because that happened to Paul. That's an interesting point. So verse 1, he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In fact, Paul's thoughts on this, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 8, is this. He says, why not say just as some people slanderously claim we say. See, people were saying that this is, this, he quotes what they said we say. Let us do what is evil so that good may come. He goes, their condemnation is deserved. He said, that's just wrong, right? That's condemned. He says, but how can we who died to sin still live in it? You're dead to sin. 
It's, you're not alive to it anymore. How can you be living in it? Verse 3, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So this is, um, when you look at water baptism, it's symbolic of what we're going to read here. It symbolizes what this is talking about. So don't think water baptism, though, is what he's talking about. He is talking about being immersed in Jesus. Immersed in Jesus Christ. Immersed into the Spirit of Christ. And, and of course, yes, we go do water baptism because that's a symbol of what happened in the spirit realm. And, and we recognize that. We know that it's not the dipping in water that saves us or anything like that. But look here in verse 3. Are you unaware that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too, we too, someone say we too, we too too may walk in newness of life, newness of life. So we're buried with Him, we're raised with Him. And what's the purpose of it? So that we can walk in. Notice it doesn't say so that we can visit from time to time. A new way of life. Notice it doesn't say so that we might know about a new way of life. Or mentally assent to a new way of life. No, he says walk in it. That means there's action on your part that's happening. You can't walk without you deliberately doing so. Because if you do nothing, you'll stand still, right? So walking in it means there's effort from you. It's a place to abide. It's a place to remain in. It's a place to stay in. And I don't mean by standing still like the pathway. You stay in that, in that vein. You're walking in, as other translations might say, a new way of life. A new way of life. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death or made one with Him, it's like a marriage term. Alright? When you're made one. When you and your spouse, right? You get married... You're made one. Well, here he's saying if you're made one, if you're united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be one in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know, we know that our old self, some translations call it the old man, but it's the the old man, the old self, for we know that our old self was crucified with Him. So that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Put Galatians 2.20 up on the board. On the screen. I don't know why I always call it a board. But yeah, the screen. Galatians 2.20. We're talking about walking in a new way of life. And that we've been made one with him in death, one with him. I no longer, I have been, well, in a, the Holman translation puts part of verse 20 into verse 19, so we're not seeing the whole thing. But in verse 19, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, right? Verse 20, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So, crucified with Christ, right? Crucified with him, no longer alive, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's what he's saying. He wrote that letter to the Galatians, and so he's making a similar statement here in Romans chapter 6. 
And then he begins to talk about the old self and the new self. The old man and the new man. The, the, your old spirit and your new spirit. Let's say it that way. Right? Because we're three-part beings. We, have it, we are a spirit. A spirit being. That's what we are. We have an eternal soul. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. That's your personality. That's your soul. We have an eternal soul. Your spirit does. And it lives inside a temporary tent, this body that's sitting in these chairs. That's your, your earth suit. And as long as you wear that earth suit, you can be on the earth. But as soon as that earth suit stops working, guess what? You're not on the earth anymore. You're up or down, right? And so, a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, right? So, your spirit, the old spirit, you needed to be born again. The old self. How many people in here have been born again? Alright. Did any of you, when you became born again, did your body, did you get a new body? No? No? Because if you did, I want to know, because that would be good to know, right, if I'm missing out on that. No, your body didn't get born again. If you had a, had a mole somewhere, you still had that mole after you made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you had a wrinkle somewhere, it might not be as deep because you're smiling, you might get a new set of wrinkles, right, around the smile marks. But the point is, is your body did not get saved. There is a day where our body is going to be resurrected. And it's going to be cleaned up and made new again, right? It's not going to be a mortal body. But in the meantime, we're in this mortal body that's a temporary tent with an expiration season on it. Right? Not an expiration date, because I don't believe there's such a thing as there's a date you're supposed to die. But it's a season. Once you're well satisfied. Right? When you're very old or... Yes, if you want to go home when you're young, then you can do that too, when you're satisfied. Newness of life. So we're united with him in this. He says in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified. Well, that's what he had said to the Galatians as well. Crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Question for you. Have any of you ever been to a funeral... Or you could view the body, right? They're up there in the casket. And have any of you, while you're at the funeral, witnessed that body commit sins? <laughs> no. Some of you look questionable, like, yeah, I think that one guy, he might have still been. <laughs> but no, right? When the body's dead, it can't sin anymore. It's dead. It's gone. It's lifeless. And he's saying, your body has been crucified, and it's now dead. And so it's, not, it's, it's, it's dead to sin. See, when temptation comes is when you get out the Dewalt screw gun and some screws and you start running screws into the lid of the coffin and keeping that thing shut tight. Don't let that flesh get out of there, right? Get the nails and the hammer. Bury it deeper, whatever it takes. You say, wow, that's a different part of Romans than I ever saw. Put uh, Ephesians... 4.22 up on the screen. Ephesians 4.22. We're going to stay here in Romans, but I'll just let him put it up so that we can read it together. And then after that, I'll go to Colossians 3. So Ephesians 
Um, now that's Ephesians 5. We'll have to do Ephesians 4. Okay, you took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. And let's look at verse uh, 23 and 4 as well. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. See, when you get born again, when you become born again would be better English, I guess. When you, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life and make that commitment and your spirit takes on new DNA, your body did not change, even your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and your personality have not changed. If you had a habit in the flesh of nicotine, you still probably have that habit after you became born again. Now, there are times where miracles happen, right? Where addictions and things can be broken off. I've watched addictions be broken off of people that had just gotten born again. I've watched addictions be broken off of people that had gotten spirit-filled. They'd been born again, but now they'd become filled with the Spirit. And I've watched addictions being broken off of, of believers that have been believers for a long time and people prayed. And it was broken. Just like that. So here we're seeing, we're talking, um, put up Ephesians again if you still have it, Ephesians 4. And look how it says you're going to put on the new self. Let's see verse 23 again. So, so your spirit has been born again. Now you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. See, after a new birth, now the process for you to be sanctified is to get your mind renewed. Your thinking right. To get your thinking right. You still have the same personality, will, mind, and emotions, but you have to now get the Word into you to develop, to mold your thinking so that you walk in the newness of life. I mean, Galatians, we're going to get into this later in chapter 6 here and as well as in Romans 7, and, and, but we'll read in Galatians 6 at some point over the next couple weeks where it talks about being spirit-led versus flesh-led. And the only way to be spirit-led is to... Is to pay attention on that side of it rather than the flesh side. And to follow what's right in the Spirit and the Word, because it's not Spirit or Word, it's both. You've got to have both. You'll fail if you just try to live with one and not the other. So Spirit and the Word. And what does he say? You're being renewed in the Spirit of your minds. Verse 24, you put on the new self. The one created according to God's likeness in rightness and purity of the truth. So your new spirit being has been born again. You know, I suppose once we get to heaven we're going we're gonna to know more about these things. But in the meantime, from what we're told, what we can read in the Word, your spirit must be in the shape of your body. That's what it must look like. Because people that have been out there in the spirit realm and have seen other people that have died and gone on, they've seen them. Or people that died, like I know one young man he, that he died, he went to heaven and uh, then he came back. He was gone for about 30 minutes and while he was there, uh, he and his brother had been in a car accident. His brother, they both died. Okay, And they're both there in heaven together, and, but the one came back. The Lord said, you need to go back. And so he went back, the other stayed. And the one that came back, he said that, you know, they all looked like they all recognized each other. Him and his brother both knew each other. And so that's why I'm saying your spirit being must look very much like your body and be in that shape and be recognizable in that way. Remember, flesh is just an expression of the real man. You. 
The real person. Because we're spirit beings here. This flesh is, is not a good representation of us, I promise. Especially as you get older, right? Hey man, I'm glad someone got that. Wasn't Smith Wigglesworth, some man of God used to say, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Why would he say that? Because he's looking to the one who is on the inside. His born again spirit with the DNA of God on the inside of him is just a thousand times bigger than what we see on the outside. Alright, um, put up on the screen Colossians 3 verse 9. Again, we're just talking about the old you and the new you. That when you became born again, that your spirit was born again, and now there is a new person on the inside of you. Not, not a new will, not a new mind, not a new... Um, because if your mind was new, it wouldn't be, need to be renewed. You're supposed to renew it. Right? So if that just automatically happened, then you wouldn't have to do anything. But since we have to renew it... See, Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. Let's look at verse 10. And have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge. See, that's your knower. According to the image of your Creator. Here it is again. That when, you are, when your mind gets renewed, it gets renewed according to what He looks like. His image. His likeness. Right? So you begin to look like Him. Alright, let's start in verse 6 again in Romans 6. 6. Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old man... In fact, um, Carson, while you're getting ready, you can find 2 Corinthians 5.17. We'll we'll go there soon. 2 Corinthians 5. But right now we're in Romans 8.6.6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. Hallelujah. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin... Since a person who has died is freed from sin. This is good news. The trouble is, not all believers are living free. It's one thing to be freed from something. It's another thing to live free. When the Emancipation Proclamation happened, and that decree went out that said, you know what, all slaves are free. Were they freed? Yes. They were, by law, they were freed. They were given freedom. Did all of them walk in freedom? No. Some because maybe their masters wouldn't let them. Others because they chose to stay. Many reasons. Right? But being freed and walking free, two different things. Two different steps. So the body that's been crucified to sin has been freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with Him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all time. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you too, (coughs) excuse me, Look to your neighbor and say, that means you. Look at yourself and say, that means me. So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's see 2 Corinthians 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's that new spirit we're talking about. The born again spirit given by the DNA of God that lives on the inside of you. The old self is dead, crucified, and buried. The new self is now living on the inside of you. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, all new things have come. It's amazing what God has done for us. Let's, let's read verse 12. Therefore, okay, remember, why is therefore there? You have to look why it's therefore. Because of what he just said. Because of what he just said. What did he just say? He said, verse 10 and 11, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too are in the same way. You too consider yourself dead to sin. What comes with sin? Death, right? So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here's why. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons or tools for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves. It's talking about your body, your, your, your soul, all of the parts of yourself. To God as weapons or tools for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is such an amazing... I mean, a person could spend a week just, just reading and rereading and allowing this to get on the inside of you, changing you into His image. Right? Changing you into His likeness. But don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It's talking about your flesh and bone. Don't let sin reign there. Why would He say don't let it? Because you have the power to not let it. You are not a victim of your flesh. Right? You are not a victim of your flesh's desires. You, your spirit being, the real you, is the one in the driver's seat. Your spirit will lead you into righteousness, but your flesh will lead you into wickedness, into corruption. <clears throat> You know that temptation is not sin, right? Because the devil loves to present you with a temptation. Or, if your flesh presents you with a temptation, he loves to jump on that right away. Look at that! How terrible you are! He'll give you a thought and then condemn you for having the thought. Right? This is who the devil is and what he does. And he's the one, he's the accuser of the brethren, the Scripture tells us. And so he loves to condemn and accuse you because what that does is then you begin to become focused on yourself rather than on the Lord and he begins to tell you about this great distance between you and the Lord and that you don't deserve this and on and on. He's trying to push you away and away and away. The Holy Spirit never does that. He's always pulling you to, inviting you toward, right? So he, he, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit um, convicts Convicts the sinner. That word convicts means convince. Means to convince. The Holy Spirit will convince you of your need for the Father. The Holy Spirit will convince you that you need His help for this project. He'll convince you. He'll bring you. He'll draw on you. So here, as we look at this, what I, what I want you to understand is that temptation, if you are presented with a thought, you have not sinned. 
I remember when I was young in the Lord. I mean, like, I don't know, early teens or earlier even. And I would have a thought about how that, all of a sudden this thought would be presented about how even God Himself couldn't do that. Man, I'd feel so horrible for having that thought because that's just like terrible. I mean, like, God could do anything and, and hear this thought. And I wasn't sharp enough to realize that wasn't coming from me. Right? I thought that thought was my own. So now I'm condemned. And then the devil condemned me, you know, for having this thought that he presented to me. And this went on for quite some time where just out of the blue a thought would be presented. Of, of you know, maybe you're, you're, maybe you are, nah, that's not going to make sense to you because... Lord, I need your help and illustrations for this. <clears throat> Look, when the temptation comes, you have to recognize that this is not from me. This is not from my born-again spirit. This is not from the person that God has created me. That new spirit on the inside. This is either from flesh or from the outside, which would be the enemy, an evil spirit, a devil, a demon. Right? Very few of us have probably ever been tempted by the devil himself. Right? But there's plenty of evil spirits and, and other fallen angels that we may have encountered. But my point is, is, is when a thought is presented to you that you understand that's not from me. That's from beneath. I am from above. I am from heaven. I have been sent to the earth for a purpose and a plan. And that thought doesn't belong to me. And now you don't have the condemnation that comes to you for having the thought. When it turns to sin, because temptation is not sin, when it turns to sin is when you begin to play with the thought. When you begin to turn that thought over and now thinking it, making it your thoughts. Right? Entertaining it. Now you have entered into the realm of sin. Well, you're missing it. That's what sin means. You're missing it. And so, at that point is where you need to arrest yourself, take those thoughts captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I am yours. My mind, my tongue, my thoughts, they are sanctified, set apart for you and to serve you. That's how I deal with my mind or my tongue. You know, when I say things that I don't want to say, I mean like in just language, exclamations that I don't want to exclaim. When I realize, oh, I just said something I shouldn't say, I like to do exactly that. Say, my tongue is not my own, but it is set apart to serve the Lord and to speak words that bring grace to those who listen. See, I'm just, what am I doing? I'm reigning in life, like what we talked about. Taking the word and speaking it about my current situation. Because I know so this may be hard to believe for some of you, but before I was, before I was um, full of the Holy Spirit like I am now, I had a problem with my tongue and saying my language wasn't real great. Oh, I easily was in control of it. You know, in front of the right people, I wouldn't use words like that. But the thing is, is you give your flesh half a second, those words are still there. It's amazing sometimes how fast those words want to try to come back. I'm like, oh, no, you don't. Nope, this territory don't belong to you, right? This is God's territory. 
Is it all right if I just be real transparent like that? This is how we overcome. We, we are deliberate in walking in the newness of life. And if a word slips out, well, you deal with it that way rather than going, oh, I'm such a terrible person. Boy, I must be. All right, hallelujah. Let's go on and look. Um, verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Um, let's go to two scriptures up on the screen. First John 5, we're going to read 3 and 4. And then after 1 John 5, we'll go to Galatians 2. But 1 John 5, 3 and 4. For this is what love for God is. So how many people here want to love God? Alright, so then we should really pay attention to what he's going to say. This is what love for God is. To keep His commands. To keep means to guard as well as to implement His commands. Now His commands are not a burden. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because He's in the yoke with you. He's doing the heavy pulling. So, my commands are not a burden. Why are they not a, bur a burden, we ask? He answers in verse 4, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Now, His word, His command has been born from God. He birthed those words. And they conquer the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. See, when you mix, combine the Word with your belief, boy, all heaven will move on that behalf. God's Word and your faith. And suddenly it's unstoppable. Alright, let's go over to Galatians 2, 20 and 21. <clears throat> God's commands are not a burden. Let's say it a different way. God's commands are not a burden because... He has graced you to be able to live it. When God tells you to do something, it's not a burden because He gives you the ability to do it. Right? Even if it's something extremely difficult. He makes the impossible possible. That's why it's not a burden. Because He's helping you. It's called grace. Him helping you. See, grace never is about living in sin. It's about defeating and living above sin. It's about the ability to not sin. Not God just looking the other way when you sin. That's not grace. Sometimes people confuse grace and mercy, and usually where one is, there's often the other, but they're not the same thing. So in Galatians 2, verse 20, uh, we had read this earlier, actually, I believe. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is also called, well, it's called the, uh, the Spirit of God. It's called the Spirit of Christ. And He lives within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, you are not the Holy Spirit. right? Your born-again spirit has God's DNA, but it is not the Holy Spirit. You have your own spirit and you have a co-witness living on the inside of you that bears witness with your spirit. So there's, there's two in there now. Right? Holy Spirit and you. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died for nothing. 
See, he expected that if he didn't live according to verse 20, that he would be setting aside the abilities of God, the grace of God, of God helping him. And isn't that, doesn't that sound very similar to what he says here in verse 14 in Romans? For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So that implies, you know, he talked about more grace earlier. There's different levels of grace. You're not stuck at the level of grace you're currently at. You can grow in grace. You can, just like you can grow in faith. You can have more of God's ability helping you. Verse 15, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He asks this question again. Because, see, he's making the point how powerful grace is. God coming to help you overrides every sin. It corrects all the wrongs. It's so amazing. All the stuff. But, but remember, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness or right standing with God. See, what you obey, you're a slave to. And in particular, whom you obey, you're a slave to. See, the issue right here that we're reading is not a matter of heaven and hell. A lot of times we read these things that way. Heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. No, it's a matter of what you're giving access to you. Your spirit's been born again. When you enter into sin, you're opening the door of access to the enemy to come in and bring in all the destruction that comes with death. Because that's what he does, right? You become a slave of him, you become under his control on something, and suddenly you've opened the door to that. It doesn't mean that, oh, you sinned, boom, you're on the way to hell. It's not like that. Jesus' blood is more powerful than your mess-ups. Yeah, you say, but what if I sin? Hey, bring it to the Lord. Ask Him for His help, and He's going to help you, and you're going to defeat that thing. Nobody was able to come to the Father in righteousness without sin prior to Jesus. Everyone had sin accounted to them, credited to them. Even if it was just the original Adam sin, right? Because they were of the human race. And what we see is that the grace, the ability of God coming to help us, if He cared enough, it's not like we could earn this salvation. Was anyone here almost good enough to earn it? I mean, just about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She laughs. Nobody. Nobody can earn it. So why do we think that we're going to live it in a state of earning it afterwards? Now, am I telling you that you should be out there sinning? No, I am not. I'm telling you God gives you His ability to live above it and live in victory, but don't live in condemnation when you blow it. Just come to the Father with it. Because he said that if you come to me, that's where you're going to find mercy. When do you need mercy? When you blow it. That's where you're going to find mercy. Come to me. Don't run from me. Mercy isn't out there. It's here. Come to me with it, right? 
Verse uh, 16, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to right standing with God. Sometimes I read righteousness as right standing with God because it helps it make sense to what we're reading. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to right standing with God. <laughs> Who wants to be a slave in right standing with God? Yes, yes. And, and notice how he says you obeyed from the heart. You obeyed from the heart. Is it possible to obey but not from the heart? Yeah, put up uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. Isaiah 1, 19. See, if we obey from the heart, it means it's coming from a place of submission. Do you understand the word submission? The word submission means, sub means under. Under what? The rest of the word, mission. Under the mission. That's what submission is. Under the mission. When you submit to God, you are under His mission. And when we are submitted to Him, now you're willing. You're believing from the heart. You're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to. Because it's His idea. Remember I told you several weeks ago how my mom used to tell us, you know, wash the dishes. I'd say, do I have to? She'd say, no, not if you want to. Right? If you want to, now it's not a have to. was what she was trying to teach me. Took me a long time to figure that out. But. Verse, uh, Isaiah 119, this is what the Lord said to the children of Israel. He said, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. Notice how willing and obedient are two different things. It's not just obedient. If you're obedient, the blessing comes. It's not just obedience. It's willing and obedience. It's obedience with a willing heart. Many of you have children here, or had children, or are children. So I know that all of you can understand what I'm saying. That, you know, when mom or dad have said, do this, and you don't want to, but you obey, but you're grumpy about it, and, and maybe sulking, and sullen, and, you know, complaining, and, and just not happy about it. That's obedient, but it's not willing. I obeyed, I just didn't have a good attitude about it, Right? Or there's the other side where we can submit and say, okay, that means you, you're taking it on as though it were your idea. Now it's not a have to, now it's I get to. Right? And now you're willing and obedient. We, let's, let's apply this to giving for a little bit. You know, in Corinthians it tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. That means a willing giver. Right? A cheerful giver. Would God accept it from someone who just gave but wasn't cheerful? Yeah, I suppose so. But it still went into the work of the kingdom. But what really pleases Him is when it's willing and obedient. When it's giving from cheerfulness rather than because I have to. Because He said, I don't want you to do this out of compulsion. So, obeyed from the heart. In fact, later in Romans, He says that if you believe in the heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. The believing comes first. Our confession comes from a heart that believes. Alright, verse um, 19. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. If you think your flesh is strong, you are mistaken. 
And if you think your mind is strong when it's not renewed, you're also mistaken. See, the old man has died and gone away, and you now have a new man, but you still got the same flesh that has its evil desires. You still have a soul on the inside of you that needs to be constantly renewed with the Word of God. Your flesh, don't trust it any further than you can throw it. I know, that doesn't make sense. Man, if someone were trying to translate that into another language, they would be like, what is that? For just as you offered, um, let's read 19. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity, to greater and greater lawlessness, so now... In other words, just how you were completely sold out to wrong, so now offer your body as slaves to righteousness, to right standing with God, which results in sanctification. And sanctification means set apart for special use. It can also mean holiness. Let's say it a different way, set apart for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness or Let's say it this way. When you were slaves of sin, you were completely not even in the realm of righteousness. There was no righteousness there. You were free of righteousness. Are you free of cancer tonight? Yeah, I'm free of cancer. Well, here he's saying they were free of righteousness. Like, there wasn't any. So now, he says, offer... Offer your body as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. I'm not done there. You you can't be a sinner and a saint at the same time. You know, have you ever heard someone say, I'm just a dirty sinner, or I'm just an old sinner, or I'm, you know, don't don't say that. I mean, if you are that, then, then become born again, become a saint, and then never say it again. We don't re-crucify ourselves daily. I mean, with Christ, in that sense. You might put your flesh down. You might nail your flesh up on the cross a few times. But I'm saying, you don't get born again every day. There's one born again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, see, he's he's making comparisons. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification or which results in set-apartness for holiness. And the outcome is eternal life. The outcome is eternal life. Now, in John 17, verse 3, Jesus said eternal life is this, to know the Father, the one true God, And His Son, Jesus Christ. And that word know means to know them intimately. Intimately. Know. That's what eternal life is. And so, now He's saying we have this great freedom that we're standing right with God. That we're slaves to Him. And that our body is is now a slave to God. And that we are... The outcome of it is eternal life. For the wages, or the word is pay. For the pay of sin... Do you know sin pays? It does. It always pays. It always pays. I'm so glad that there's someone who pays that wage for me. Has paid, I should say, not pays. Has paid once for all. Once for all sin. 
You know, when you sin again, Jesus does not climb back up on the cross. So put another nail in. This one, I'm being crucified for you again. Uh Uh-uh. Once for all sin. Does that mean that a future sin you might sin has already been covered by the blood of Jesus? Yeah. I mean, you need to take it there, right? You need to forsake sin. That's what repent means. It means to turn and go the opposite direction. If you want to know how do I properly repent when I've done wrong, it means forsake it. Don't do that. Do this. Now you've repented. It doesn't mean you felt bad. I mean, you may, but that's not what repentance is, is weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth. For the wages of sin is death, and the devil loves to pay the wage. He looks for open doors of access to our lives, which would be called sin. And then he likes to come in with his wages. But on the flip side, the gift of God. Did you know that a gift is something that's given voluntarily? It's, it's given without expectation of compensation. Right? Nothing expected in return. It's a gift. It's a gift. But the gift of God is eternal life. What's eternal life? Relationship. Being known and knowing Him. One-on-one. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not earned. I'll read two scriptures to you from later in Romans chapter 8. He says this in verse 13. He said, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or of the flesh, you will live. You will live. It's eternal life. Just you're being spirit led rather than flesh led. Back up to verse 6. He says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So if you're flesh led, it leads to death. If you're spirit led, it's life and peace and leads to that and bears fruit in accordance with that. The fruit of the spirit is not a banana or a blueberry or whatever else they say in that song. All right, stand up with me. Worship team, you can come. So Romans 6 talks about the new life in Christ and how we're not slaves of sin any longer, but we are slaves to the Holy One. And we stand in righteousness. And we reign in life. And we have eternal life. That gift that is given to us Let's take a moment and just pray a little bit. Father, I thank You that You have helped us tonight in seeing and knowing truth. Lord, I ask that You would continue to develop this on the inside of us as we go through this week. That You would open up and unfold to us by Your Spirit the truth that we need. Because I know, Father, that it's Your will that we walk in strength and in power of Your might, in the grace that You've given to us. Thank You for the mercy, Lord, that You've you've so graciously given. The mercy that You've extended to us. And that You're faithful to all generations. And that we haven't worn You out. We haven't made You tired. We haven't bankrupted You. Just thank You for being an endless supply of goodness. Of good things. 
of the gift of life and of the grace of life and all things that, that are for life and godliness that you've given to us. We're grateful to you for this, Lord. We bless you for it. Father, thank you that you gave us eternal life, that you gave us right standing with yourself, that you took away our debt and put us in your family. We're so grateful for that, Father. Thank you that you gave us a tongue to rule with, that you have given us responsibility and authority. Thank you that you have given us the power to choose, that we never are stuck in a choice, but we can choose. Thank you, Lord, for setting us apart to serve you. And I willingly serve you. Let's say that. I willingly serve you. I am set apart for your service. In Jesus' name, and amen. God's seeking those that will worship Him in and truth. Amen. I have no idea how that kind of dovetailed, you know, when you listen to the message, but some of what I was saying is what you were saying. So he said it better, though, didn't he? Hallelujah. That's true. So we identify with Christ. If He's an overcomer, we're what? We're overcomers. Amen. worthy of all of our praise and make it a habit this week develop a new habit of praising him find something every day something in particular that you can thank him for all right and then go through the day and whenever you think about it again remember that thing that morning that you had decided that you were thankful for Meditate on how the Lord has done this thing for you. How He's blessed you in it. Whatever it is. And then thank Him for it. The other thing um, I want to encourage you to do this week is every day encourage somebody. Encourage them. It might be the same person every, every time. It might be a different person each time. In fact, if you really, wanna, if you really want it to count... Stop and ask the Lord, who should I encourage and how should I encourage them? And then do that. Because it'll hit the mark. It'll be exactly what they're needing. I mean, you will be effective bearing fruit, right? Somebody, a word of encouragement or exhortation right now.
that you would like to share with everyone. I don't know that it's a word of, of exhortation, but it's just really interesting what you just said because during worship, I, out of the blue, this school teacher came to mind. My last, uh, my high school, the last year of high school was a new teacher, and he came to mind, and I started reflecting on that year and and how he poured his heart and soul into us and. We were a little snooty sometimes and pushed back at different things. I don't know, just I was thinking about all of this and how much that meant to me and his heart and soul that he poured into us. He impacted our lives and, I'm, and the Lord said, you need to encourage him. You need to text him. He needs to hear that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, all right, it's going to be too quick to just grab my phone and do it now because we we're not supposed to have our phone <laughs> I'll wait to, all right, Lord, remind me tonight. And then you get up and say this. So I think there is people that the Lord wants us to encourage specifically. So I really am going to just back that up. Pray, Lord, who am I to encourage and be sensitive into the spirit? Because there are people that need to hear from the Lord. And they need that little reassurance that God's eye is on them. So just backing that up. Hey, we're all alike in, in the fact that none of, none of us have it all figured out. All of us need encouragement. That's part of what together in the body of Christ, part of unity, is that we are encouraging and strengthening one another. Hallelujah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for asking us what we're thankful for today. Good. And you didn't ask me what I was thankful for, so I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, and I, th I think this is an encouragement for other people as well. Um, we have a dog. Her name is Lulu. Lulu's 13 years old. She's most of the way blind. And she has problems. The other day, she let out a squeal in the house, and my wife called me into the house and said, Did you hear that? And I said, No, I didn't hear it. So we went and found Lulu, and there Lulu was limping. We didn't know why, what, what had happened. Maybe she ran into something. But I know, and I hope you all know, that you're supposed to lay hands on the sick, and the sick will be healed. That's right. We laid hands on our dog right there and then. And within a second, Lulu was healed. No more limping. So it doesn't matter what it is in your life. You can take the word of the word and do what it says. Amen. That's a good encouragement. You know, if it's under your authority and you serve the risen one, then rain. That's right. It's a good illustration of just raining. What are we waiting on, Pastor? I don't know. But I can't close yet, so someone's got something. The Lord wants to do something. Father, we bless you. Thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. And we look to you right now in this moment. Father, have your way. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. 
Father, whatever you want to do in the Spirit or, or, or whatever it is, Lord, we just give you free reign. Bring it forth. We thank you for it. This is an encouragement for all of the kids in here because I know a lot of you probably this week, some of you might be starting school either at home or you're going back to your schools. So I want to encourage you to not be disappointed or sad that summer's over, but be excited about all that God has for you in this upcoming school year. So look towards your studies, your schoolwork, your home days, your school days, whatever kind of schooling you're doing. Look to that with excitement and anticipation for all that you're not only going to learn, but that how God will use you at your schools. Um, and that ask the Lord to help you. Maybe some things are hard for you, but ask the Lord to help you when you're sitting down to do your math or your reading. And also I'd encourage you to um, learn, if you're not already doing this in the program that you're doing, to learn some scripture that, that you can speak out over your life and over your school year. Um, uh, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's a great scripture for you to start with. But I'd encourage you to sit with your parents, uh, or maybe your schooling is already doing that, where you have scripture, but memorize scripture. Put the word of God in your heart this school year. Amen. Normally don't share, you know, because um, like I said, Jay was saying last week about being petrified to speak in front of folks. Well, it's different when I'm singing because I can close my eyes. But, but uh, you know, as I was sitting here and Pastor said that, he said he's waiting on someone. And, you know, I, I, you might all be aware that I lost my goddaughter a few weeks back. And one of the things that Father has put on my heart was to reach out to all the folks. We used to have this choir and Brother John and Sandy and Debbie know a bunch of the folks that we used to minister together with. And. As I've been reaching out to them, you know, I've been finding out that a lot of folks have either walked away from Father or, you know, they just don't feel that they're in the right place. And there was one brother that was sharing, said, well, brother, my life is not in, uh, in a place that it would be. And you said it tonight, there's not a problem that they deal with that the blood can't cover. You know, there wasn't crucified at the cross. And so what I was hearing in my spirit was, you know, there are folks that have, are part of this body that some of us haven't seen for a while. You know, we don't know where they're at. We don't know what's going on with them. We don't know what they're dealing with. And in my spirit, I was just hearing just to share that we should reach out to those folks because we don't know what they're dealing with. We don't know what's going on. They may need our prayers. They may need our love. They may need you to put your arms around them. You know, they may feel condemned to come back into the house. But there's nothing that they're dealing with that the cross didn't cover. Amen. You know, like Pastor said tonight, if, uh, if the Holy Spirit is still drawing them, it's not that unpardonable sin, they need to get their behinds back in here. Amen? Amen. But it's up to us to go get them. Amen. Pastor, amen. Thank you. Here's a little encouragement that God cares about the little things, even though sometimes we forget the little things. So... Uh, Tiffany, my significant other, she works at Camp Conquest, and she basically lives up there for three months. And this was actually on a Tuesday morning during Armada. And one morning she woke up, and she was going about, you know, getting ready to go start her day, and she realized that she left a box of important papers and her boots and a radio in a box 
outside on a bench. The thing is, it downpoured that morning, complete downpour. So she goes running out there to this box. It's there on the bench, there's water on the bench, the grass is soaking wet. The box and all of its contents are completely dry. Completely dry. And she sent me a message, I need you to praise God with me because, and she tells me it, and I literally danced around my room for 20 minutes and praise the Lord because he cares about the little things. She completely forgot the box was there. And yet, God sent an angel to stand there with an umbrella over the box and keep it dry. And, you know, you don't have to wait till you're inspired to worship and praise the Lord because inspiration is for chums. Professionals show up regardless. So be a professional in worship and show up and worship and thank the Lord and praise the Lord for even little things. I feel the Lord has given me something to share, but it's not in my head. So please bear with me as I listen to the Lord. Have you ever looked at your life and you can say, well, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. And maybe that bothers you. You might look at those weaknesses and go, Lord, why is it like this? I feel like this is supposed to be a strength, but I can't get it right. It just seems to, the bottom just falls out and I can't do it. But something about this speaks to me. And something the Lord showed me this week was, you know, the enemy cannot read our mind, but he can see what we're up to. I believe God has given us inherent strengths and gifts that he wants us to walk in and grow in and become strong in. But here's the thing, if the enemy can see what we're doing, he probably has a good idea of what those strengths might be. So the thought the Lord gave me was this. If the enemy can turn what is meant to be a strength into a weakness before I even get there, he has ineffectively rendered me, he has effectively rendered me ineffective in the kingdom. So here's my encouragement to you. Look at what God has given you. Look at those strengths. Look at what might look like a weakness to you and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And ask him, is there something that you want to bring to my attention? Help me see. How have you gifted me? Have I missed something? Show me what to do. And I believe he will help you to step into that realm and to grow and was meant to be a strength so you can be fully effective and be at peace knowing you're doing what he's called you to do. And it doesn't have to be a major thing. It could be something that you might think is insignificant by being, being someone that gives good hugs, seeing someone that looks sad and actually seeing it and going to them and encouraging them. So I hope that came out right, but that's what the Lord laid on my heart. Be encouraged. You can do it. Amen. Come on up. <clears throat> Levi, come stand in line. Um, I just want to ask the Lord to heal me from that. I want to say, I think I can say this that damn diabetes because I don't want that I really don't yeah absolutely we'll pray that way right now can I have your hands yep. 
Father, I thank you that in your word, you said that you, by your stripes, we are healed. We were healed. So, diabetes, I command you to be gone from Anastasia's body in the name of Jesus. I give you life and health, a perfectly working pancreas, a perfectly working immune system in Jesus' name. We lay hold of this. and we say pancreas, work correctly. Blood sugars be balanced. Body work in harmony. In Jesus' name. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for life and health. Thank you, Father, that the law of the Spirit of life sets Anastasia free from the law of sin and death. And we bless you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So on, on Thursday after Andre's uh, citizenship test, we went and toured Independence Hall. And so they do a tour and someone speaks for like 10 or 15 minutes about, about the different things. Um, and, and while you're touring there in Independence Hall, um, they explain how during the time of, of setting up the Constitution, how um, Benjamin Franklin would always look at the chair and, and uh, he would see this half a sun on the chair and he said he couldn't tell if it was a rising or a setting sun and, and then at the end he realized that they were at a point of a rising sun anyway what what impacted me and what came in my spirit just as you were asking if anybody had anything here is it's just a little room smaller than this room and the quality of people that were in that room and that signed the the uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution um, now we can go back and tour that and you know it's just a little place and and I felt in my spirit that God wanted to let us know here that you know our country both in government and both our churches need revival all throughout the land and and the the people that are in this building right now and come come and go that are a part of this church you know we're just a, we're just in a small room here it looks like a small room but imagine if in 250 years from now <laughs> you know people would people would come and tour this and well this is where Sidney Rapp was a, was a pastor for 10 years 15 years and you know all the different people that are here got together in unity and went out and expanded the kingdom so I just wanted to share that we're a thousand times bigger on the inside than we are on the outside was it joe uh so the word that the lord has given me is hope when i often think of hope i think of future uh, and lord willing i have a lot of future ahead of me um with that it's, it's scary sometimes and also lord willing everyone in this room has future some more than others um but we'll leave that up to, to god um but when, when we think of hope, we think of God. We think of Jesus, for he is our hope. Everything that goes wrong, everything that doesn't go the way that we think it should, we can let go of because of the hope that we have in him. Uh, a verse that really comes to mind is Hebrews 10.23, uh, which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful.
Thank God for his faithfulness. I just heard uh, that he said he's restoring voices today. He's restoring people to their positions where he has them. And right now, the Lord is encouraging everyone here that he wants your flavor. Like, he has you in that position for a reason. Not to be quiet, not to let the death preserve all around you, but to, to bring life to situations, to bring the life that lives inside of you. And so when you're scared of what your voice sounds like, it's, it's totally Satan. Your voice is meant to be in that situation. Your presence is meant to be there. Your flavor brings people into the kingdom. Yeah, that's good. You know, the Lord isn't looking for robots. If he'd want robots, he'd have just, well, made us differently than he made us, right? He does. He wants you bring something unique that he desires and he wants. All right? Don't try to be like anyone else. Be like you. Be like the Lord. Right? All right. One way that we love God is we love on one another in this house. So do that as you go. We'll have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone's invited. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. (laughs) Oh, the little things in life. (laughs) Oh, my. Praise the Lord. It's just good to be with family. You know, when you know you're loved and appreciated and it's just, there's nothing like it, is there? And this is our, our church, our family, that we can feel that way about. Psalms 33 is a joyous, upbeat psalm. And it's really difficult to find anything negative in this one at all. But the psalmist uh, obviously talks about the, his confidence in God's protection and his care for his people. So if things seem stacked up, against you or circumstances seem hopeless tonight as I read these words put your attention on the one who gives you strength and peace and joy and deliverance all the things you need rejoice in the Lord all you righteous for praise from the upright is beautiful in the King James it says comely which means handsome Praise the Lord with the harp and make melody with him in the instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah. It is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth reverence and fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe, awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord 
the people he has done that he has chosen as his own inheritance. Say, that's me. You're a chosen people of God. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually and he considers all their ways. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Well, let's stand, family, together. And in our time of worship, which is our whole evening together, let's put our mind and our heart on the one who truly is completely trustworthy. Amen. So good to see you all here on time. Praise God. Amen. Jesus is here tonight. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body of Christ. And he is the express image of our Heavenly Father. And he is love. And he loves this church. He loves this body. And he loves you. Right where you're at, right present tense, he is in love with you. Why? That is who he is, is love. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us his very nature. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely, and it does not speak its own, seek its own. It's not provoked, and it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. Love never fails. That's the very nature of our Father. It's the very nature of Jesus. And that very nature has been put in each one of us as a born-again child of God. That's something to rejoice about. So, Father, tonight we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you in our journey that we are manifesting that love, your very nature that you deposited in each one of us. We value it. We esteem it. And we walk in it, Lord. We choose to walk in that because you gave us the ability of your Holy Spirit to do that very thing. 
So Father, from the depths of our heart, we say thank you that we can represent you so well here on the earth. We thank you for this time together collectively as the body of Christ, a family, the family that you love. And one way we love our Father is by loving one another. So turn to your brother and sister in the Lord and tell them you love them and that you're glad that they're here tonight and we can fellowship together in the body of Christ. Well, good evening, everyone. We're glad to be here with you tonight. Glad our pastor made it home safe and sound from Turkey. If you're here for the very first time, we'd like you just to wave at us so we can acknowledge you and make you feel welcome. Anyone here for the first time? All right. Well, we, I know we have some friends here from England, so welcome back. We're glad to have you with us tonight. All right. Um, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you one. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. So I have a question that just hold on to it. We'll come back to it in the end, and maybe I'll give you opportunity to help answer it. What is the purpose of the tithe covenant? What is the purpose? Well, to answer that, we need to look at what is covenant. And that could be a whole sermon in itself. So I'm not planning to do that. <laughs> but we have to, what is a covenant? So I, I did some research. What is the, the definition of covenant? A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Covenant is different than a contract because it is relational and personal. In a covenant, there are obligations on both sides. So, you know, I could promise to be at your house and do your dishes tomorrow, and that would require nothing from you. So in a covenant, there's two sides. In a covenant, there is an exchange. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. And if you think about um, when God asked Abraham to give his one and only son, that was so he now had the right to give his one and only son. And when he did that, he didn't just, it wasn't just an exchange that way, but now it made it possible to gain all of us, many sons, many daughters. So turn over to Malachi, and we're going to look at some things. The book of Malachi deals with honor and respect, and it brings correction uh, to those breaking covenant. If you read through the book of Malachi, which it's really great just to sit down and just read it as a whole. It gives you a, real, a, a better picture of, um, gives you context. It has a lot to do with offerings that the Lord finds acceptable or not. So it has, this book is about offerings, it's about tithing, it's about covenant and, and honor. So starting in chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 6. In my Bible, the heading here says, Breaking Covenant by Withholding Tithes. So we're going to start in verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, I find it interesting that the Lord decided to say this, preface what he's going to say next with that phrase. You know, he's going to start talking about tithing and things, and right here is where he says, hey, I don't change. So, you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. 
But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, I want to stop here and point out that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we're not under curse for not tithing. However, if you're not a tither, you're not in position for the blessing either. Does that make sense? Bring in the, full, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Uh, that just sounds so awesome to me, thinking of floodgates of heaven being thrown open and pour out blessings, says so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So back to the question, what is the purpose of the tithe covenant? What do you, I'm asking you, because you know, you're the tithers. What's your reason? What do you see as the purpose for tithing? Okay, well, I have a few things written down. Anybody? All right, Josh. Amen. Because we, he, we love him and to prove that he lives. Alan? To honor God. Someone else? Troy? There you go. I don't want to cut anybody off. I had some of those same things, too. I said it demonstrates honor to God. It demonstrates he's first place. I had, it demonstrates that I believe God is my source, that my trust is in him. God, I believe you. I believe in your covenant. I believe in your promise. I believe you're going to do what you said you're going to do. I also, if you look back here in um, 10, he says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you know, you know, in the law, like, okay, tithing began before the law. Then once the law came, the, um, the Lord said that there would be for, for the Levites, for those that ministering in his house, and for the work. So that was where the tithes were supposed to go and what was supposed to happen with those. So the Lord said, so there may be food in my house. In other words, provision for the ministers, provision for the work of the Lord there. And the last thing I put down, of course, I'm not trying to say this is an all-inclusive list, but... This is just some things I wrote down. The purpose of tithing is to give God an open door to bless you and protect you. You do your part, I do my part, and he does his. And it's just a, a beautiful picture. Covenant is so beautiful. So aren't you thankful tonight for the covenant of the tithe? That we get the privilege. We have a God who loves us and is so powerful that he could do this for us supernaturally help us in our finances. Well, I'm grateful for it. So let's take a hold of the tithe. Let's pray over that. Father, we're so thankful tonight for the covenant of tithe that you've extended to us that we could 
worship you in this way, that we could worship you with, with the tithes, with the resources that you've entrusted to us. So, Lord, we just ask you to bless everybody here, all the tithers here. We ask you to protect them, meet the needs that they may have. We thank you for answers that are on the way and on time. And, Lord, I just ask you to show us how we can honor you more, honor you with the things you've entrusted to us, with the opportunities that we have, extend and expand our understanding of what it means to honor you. Because we just want to please you, Lord, with our life, with our service, with everything that we do. We want your blessing and, and you to be pleased. And, Lord, we want to expand the kingdom here. So we'll just trust you as you show us how to do that. In Jesus' name, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Tomorrow night is youth and young adults here at the church, and anyone entering eighth grade is now invited to come, and so that's exciting for anyone who gets to attend youth for the first time. Saturday, August 27th, so this coming Saturday, 9 a.m., all the members of the Children's Ministry Department are asked to attend a special ministry training. So it is an important meeting. We would like to have everyone here if you could at all make it possible to come. We're going to have a light-ish light, light -ish breakfast. <laughs> I think we're going to have some egg casserole, but there's going to be um, some baked things and stuff like that. So please plan on attending that. Kelly, was there anything else that you wanted to share? I know you wanted to make sure that was emphasized. So, okay. 9 a.m., is that the correct time? Okay. Downstairs in the, in the basement. Yeah. Also, next Sunday, the 28th, is our summer picnic. So last chance to sign up in the back. So please sign up if you're planning to attend. And there is a space to put which dish you're bringing. Okay. Well, we'll bring food, please. So, so that's how this works. We all bring a little something, and there's always lots, and, and it works out. So... Well, as I mentioned, our pastor is home, so let's welcome him back. Hallelujah. It's good to be here with you in the house of the Lord, amongst believers, people full of faith, fire, vim, and vigor. Now, what's all that about? I don't know. It's time. Time for what? Time to get fired up. How many of you are grateful for something, thankful for anything? All right, everyone who has something that you can identify on the inside that you can think of, something you're thankful for, stand up. <clears throat> all right, I am, I, if you are willing to share that with all of us, stay standing. If you are not, sit down. Castor, what are you thankful for? Your amazing family. Well, that's certainly something to be thankful for. How about you, Frank? Your wife. Thankful for his wife. That's a good thing. Karen, what are you thankful for? Wasn't broken. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Rebukes the devourer. <laughs> Young man back here. I don't know your name, so we get to be introduced right now. Joe, I'm Sydney. Nice to meet you. Joe, what are you thankful for? Community you found in college. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Marie, how about you? I'm thankful for 
provision for college. Amen. Amen. You know, there's just, let's just keep going. Sandy, what are you thankful for? Health. Health. And divine health. How great is that? Fabulous. Vera, how about you? Name us one thing. Family, precious grandchildren, health. Yeah. Mem, how about you? <laughs> Air conditioning in the summer. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think we second that one. <laughs> Jonathan, what are you grateful for? Gifts of life and softball. That's right. You know, it's good to cut loose and have some fun every now and then, isn't it? Have some recreation. The other Jonathan, what are you grateful for? Yeah. Indoor plumbing. <laughs> Hey, I don't know if you've ever tried to be Amish or not, but, you know, now in, in this, actually in this county, you know, the Amish all have indoor plumbing, but where I grew up, there was no indoor plumbing in those Amish houses. No electric, no pipes, no cabinets. And so they were like the pioneers of old plus some. So who, who's grateful for indoor plumbing? <laughs> Adrian, what are you grateful for? Oh, he says he's grateful for an excellent father figure. So thank you for being nice to me. <laughs> uh, Jill, what are you thankful for? Say that again. A job where you can teach Bible to students. Yeah, because you didn't always have that kind of job, did you? Yeah, amen. The other Jill. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, amen. You know, God created our bodies to function in a certain way, and it's awesome when, they, when He blesses us and they do, amen. Yeah. How about you, Levi? Opportunity, yeah, for a free, living in a free land. You know, how much of that do we take for granted? Nobody tonight tried to tell us we couldn't come in here, that we couldn't worship. No one tried to stop us. We're not afraid that someone's going to kick the door down. I mean, there was a week or two there where we had to be thinking about that a couple years ago, right? But not anymore. Oh, congratulations, Andrea. Is she in here? Downstairs. Andrea, he says, just passed her citizenship. You can be seated. So be sure to welcome her as a United States citizen. <clears throat> Doesn't feeling thankful feel good? It encourages each other to be grateful. It inspires one another. How many of you, when you heard someone else, something they were thankful for, oh, yeah, I'm thankful for that too. You thought of it now in your life as well. Right? And th that's what happens when we live in that grateful place. Because see, it's the grateful person that is positioning themselves for more of the Lord. The unthankful person, they're, they're blockading themselves off from the good things of God. And so in this house, let's be the most thankful people that we know. The most encouraging people that we know. You know, building each other up. No one should come to a meeting that is feeling down and out. They should not go home the same way. That they go home built up. Man, I'm so glad I went. How many of you ever had like, man, everything is working against you to go to a service and you just about didn't go, but you, you just went anyway. And then you went home and like, man, I was so glad I went. That was just God all the way. And my number, my mail was read. And how many of you have ever been like that? Yeah. 
And so sometimes the biggest things in my life happened when it was the hardest to get there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. Actually, let's pray for a few things right now. Let's pray and ask the Lord for revelation. Because see, everything, there's scripture that says in your light we see light. So it's in His light that we have revelation to understand what we read. To understand the Word. And the Holy Spirit, it says, leads us into all truth. Guides us into all truth. So that there's nothing hidden from us that we need to know as we read through the Scriptures. I mean, you know, one of the big tragedies in life is when someone reads their Bible. It's a good thing the sentence doesn't stop there. When someone reads their Bible without the Lord. Without the Holy Spirit. You're just reading it by yourself. Because there's no revelation there's nothing there, right? But it's when you read it with the Lord that He opens your eyes to see things, opens your mind to understand things, gives you insight, and out of that insight and revelation and understanding then comes strength and faith. And what follows strength and faith? Victory, right? Victory and overcoming and, and all of those things that come with it. I'll give you a little update on the trip that I just returned from, the Holy Spirit Conference. And at a wonderful time, there was, uh, Larry had put the meeting on, there was, I don't know, maybe two, three hundred people there, and um, <clears throat> there was many from, the, they call it MENA, MENA is an acronym for Middle East, Northern Africa, from Rama people in Bible school and like the Rama leaders in those regions, Middle East, Northern Africa. Um, that all came to this meeting. And so that was why the Lord had directed me to go was I felt like there was um, people there that I needed to meet that would be important for us later and important for them. And so, so I went for the first two days to accomplish that. I didn't stay for the whole thing. Then I came back home. I was there just long enough to adjust to the time zone so that I could come home and adjust again. <laughs> it's not the best way to travel. It's a little better to spend more time there and make, make use of, of, yeah, jet lag. So um, the, the, the time there, went, it was really great. I mean, we had great teachings and all of that. But I'm really happy to say that there was some relationships started and relationships rekindled with people from across the Middle East and Northern Africa that exactly what the Lord had directed me to go or why He had directed me to go, I believe, um, we'll see it come to pass in the future in those nations. Um, some strategic relationships, and we just had so many good conversations. Brian Wills was there, um, spoke with him for a long time about church planting down in, in, in Richmond, Virginia, and so um, let's keep praying and pressing that way. Um, we're going to, soon we'll go down and we'll just spend some time there in the region and we'll pray and say, Lord, you know, what do you have to say to us here and what's our next step? And then we're just going to obey, right? Pray and obey. You say, well, how, how do you start a church planning um, movement? Well, I don't know. You pray and obey. That's about all I know to do, right? And there's no particular strategy or anything like that. But I know that if we follow what the Lord's telling us to do, we're going to hit the mark. And um, so... That's the update on that. Um, Pastor Jay from Colorado was there as well. He was on the way home from Ukraine. Who Jacob had been in Ukraine as well. Welcome home, Jacob. And um, so he was on the way back from that, and he stopped in and was there for the meetings as well. So we got to uh, see each other and spend time together. 